Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. special episode of Light the Fight. For this episode, Heidi and myself will be doing something that we call sessions. And this is an official patron episode. If you haven't heard about our patron yet, please, we ask you to click on the link here in the podcast. Also, if you follow us on Instagram, you click on the link there to uh, check out our Patreon. And basically what Patreon is, is just our way of giving you extra bonus content, having a closer relationship with you guys, answering questions, and getting a much deeper dive into all the topics that we've discussed here on Light the Fight. So without further ado, let me turn this over to Heidi. I'm not going to be speaking anymore. Heidi's taking over <laughs> for the rest of this. She's going to be giving the rest a, of it. She's going to be giving a lesson on everything that she's still working on. So this is kind of like a tutorial. What's that uh, with the teacher's assistant? What's that person that... Uh, the TA, the TA. Yeah. Wow. That was hard for me. Yeah. Literally TA. <laughs> so you're going to go from the TA to the teacher today. So oh. go. I'm not going to say anything else. Go. I'm well, just kidding. No, yeah. don't say that you're not going to say anything Well, first else, of all, that's not possible. Well, it's not possible for me to <laughs> shut up for that long, but I'll shut up for a minute. Okay. So quick review. Last month, we kind of kicked off this thing called Light the Fight Sessions, which is where we're... We're kind of going back in time um, and taking some of the fundamental um, foundational concepts that just real principles the, yeah, of everything that we talk about. They just were the most impactful. And a million years ago, we when we first started, we thought, OK, we're going to do a workbook so that people will be able to take notes because I don't know if you're in therapy or if you've ever been to therapy but like you kind of leave that super intense hour-long session and you f you remember like the main thing that struck but like all of the other things kind of falls out yeah so then you got to go back and go to the next thing that anyway. or in a therapy session you talk for an hour and right when you're leaving you're like, oh wait I remember what I needed to talk about <laughs> Right. Well, that's our time. Today. Yeah, that's time. She's up. <laughs> um, and so I wanted a place where we could write things down. So this probably isn't the best time for you to like be driving in, in your car. The idea we're going to do one session episode per month. It's going to be on our Patreon. If you go if you join our Patreon, then you have access to every month to the worksheets and the video. So you'll be able to see us talking today. Um, and in the video, I'm kind of holding up the new worksheet. It will be a similar format where the worksheet has prompts. We're gonna kind of talk through it. And as we go, you're gonna be able to write the things either that come to your mind or things that are said that really have an impact on you. 
And and part of the reason why you're doing that is because when you're first learning something, you need repetition of using it. But if you can't remember the tool at the time you need to use it, it's hard to get good at it. A lot of parents will say, man, you know, we've, we've taken everything you said, we've listened to it over and over again, we've taken notes, and now we're going to try to, uh, you know, apply that in our daily lives. We just want to give you the shortcut by help you take the notes, give you the deeper information that we've learned throughout the years on these topics. So that way it's just ready available. It's readily available for you. You've already had a re like a refresher course on this information and you can jump into any relationship in your life and start using these principles right away. So this is the second sessions. The first one we did um, last month was guilt versus shame. So you can go back and check that out. It's also real quick. I forgot to mention www patron p-a-t-r-e-o-n boom backslash light the fight dot kizom no, com. just kidding it costs five bucks a month five bucks a month i mean you can you can do more than that but it's just five bucks a month and uh with five bucks you're gonna get these monthly sessions um we answer questions um we're open to just being able to talk with you guys more intimately so if you make comments on videos stuff like that we'll talk with you back and forth but really it's just a place where we're just like hey what do you what more do you want from us if you want this we'll do that if you want to i talked to heidi a couple months ago we thought about in the future maybe we do a little bit of not a little bit but maybe we do a live stream and in that live stream people can talk with us or maybe we take a handful of parents that say okay we want to, you know, get on a Zoom call and five or six different parents, we just start talking. We have conversations about certain different, you know, different topics. And so that group support is something we've talked about doing and all these other things. But over on patreon.com, you actually have the influence to tell us what more of the content and more of the things we've talked about that you want. Okay. So what we're going to dive into today is this like, like I said, super fundamental concept that David taught me in the very beginning that was probably one of the hardest things for me to even grasp, but has made easily probably one of the biggest impacts on me. And, and when he first introduced to me this concept of why it's important to use statements to connect with people rather than questioning them, um, literally like such a light bulb moment because I am a questioner and that's how I thought I connected that's how I went about getting information that's how I went about everything I do was asking questions and and inherently there's nothing bad about questions well we're going to tell you what's bad about a well if you have good intentions and you're just curious asking a question seems pretty innocent right right it could except for to the person that you might be interrogating. So yeah, this is, um, I actually, I'm pretty warmed up on this topic. I talked about this already today. Um, I was speaking to the Jordan school district administrators today, and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to talk to them about, you know, my curriculum and different things I'm doing. And so they asked me, said, Hey, could you share us, you know, one tool? And I'm like, well, if I'm speaking publicly, I usually only share one tool. And the reason being, because if I only had one time to share one thing, I have to share this one You'll thing. You only remember one thing. So you, you got to give that and hard takeaway. And this one, I have a hundred other things off of this one, but this is the one that just hits everybody. Like this is the one that you get to practice. On, you can practice on with so many different types of people. And um, just the biggest thing that I, I, I try to help people just wrap their head around 
is that questions aren't bad. Your intention when you're asking a question is just an unknown. Right. So if someone that, let's say you're a boss and you have an employee, you as the boss, you think, hey, I'm just a person who want to get stuff done. I just want to work hard. And, you know, my employees really love me or, you know, they, they know that even though I'm hard on them sometimes that, you know, it's really just for their own good. And they know I love them. They know I care about them. Well, sometimes if you ask employees that they know I love them and care about them isn't always like received. Sometimes when you get a very direct version of someone, very like strictly business, the person that's in the employee or the lower position, they're naturally going to be unsure of where they stand with that person. So they're constantly looking for validation that this person is okay with them and that this person is viewing them as someone that's has something about them that's necessary, meaningful, like, like they need that person around. Something matters about this person where your life's better or something's good about this person to have them around. But how can you prove that to a boss in this example if you don't even know how to please the boss? And one thing that people throughout the years I've worked with, and I've seen this happen in all different types of situations, people will assume that if someone questions what their intention is or like, why, why were you late to work today? Or, or how come you didn't finish that project on time? The natural first defensive reaction to that is, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? You can't possibly tell that that boss who you've never been in that position had a hundred things going on and they just wanted the quickest way to get the information out of you. Not realizing that most managers, most leaders, and this is according to very specific statistic I'm referring to, aren't good at the, the, the logical processing part, like the, like the get stuff done part and having social skills. In fact, in this one study I shared in this presentation today, less than 1%, and this was in corporate America, they just studied like things five years ago, less than 1%, 0.077% of managers and executives in these top companies were rated as being a boss that had both analytical skills and also well, very good social skills at the same time. And so why I bring this up with questions is because whether it's in business, in your family, in your intimate relationships with your friends, if someone is unsure of where they stand with you, they're unsure of how you think about them, leading with a question only causes them the fear that, oh my gosh, they're questioning me. The person doesn't, and it, it, start, it starts at such an early age that we don't even know it's happening. And it's been going on for generation after generation. And we know this today uh, as shame because if you really want to shame someone, you question their intentions and their moral character in front of another group of people who they're trying to please, right? Like question your friend, your child in front of their friends. And that old school questioning was supposed to be a way of teaching you a lesson, right? Putting your feet above the fire. Why did you do that? Why did you, you know, not listen and just call someone out on the moment, put their feet to the fire. But in today's world, whether it be an employee, whether it be a student, whether it be, you know, an intimate partner, we really have a harder time with questions nowadays because life is not as threatening outside of COVID as it was for our ancestors. So if a parent reacts with a huge over-the-top reaction, why didn't you take out the trash? How many times do I have to tell you? Obviously, there's a lot more behind that person, the parent's questioning than just the trash. There's a stressful week. There's a stressful day. There's a, 
that feeling of I'm losing control of everything in my life. At least I can control my kid taking out the trash. If I can't control that, I'm, I'm failing in life in general. Questions have just been around forever as connection with shame. So if you lead with statements, and Heidi's going to give us some more information about this, just say when you lead with statements, it actually helps someone put down their defense mechanism. They're not as fearful that you're trying to call them out on something, that you're not trying to embarrass them or you're questioning their capability. They think you're just sharing information or you want to know information. But it doesn't come natural to form those thoughts into a statement. It does come natural. It's a question in our mind. Why are they acting that way? Oh, I know. I'll just ask them, why are you acting that way? Problem is our body language, our facial expressions, all are looking as if we're doing more than asking a simple question. We're questioning them entirely. Which actually I think that for me, the, the old version, well, 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 the old version of myself is I actually, you know, you walk into a place and you're like, why didn't you pick up your, bi your bike? How come you didn't do this? What were you thinking about this? And, and even if it doesn't come off sounding mad, you know, you're, your kids are like automatically feeling on the defense, right? So where I want to start out with, and, and those of you who have the worksheet, we're going to start with a little bit of history here. And, and I like the way David explains this because this really helped me understand in the beginning, like what um, from, from a, young, a young age, how we respond as humans to a question versus how we respond as a statement. So really quickly, um, the top two boxes here are questions. So let's just first talk about questions, you know, and, and you, how you kind of set this up as like our, our brain's triggered response to a question. Yeah. So um, doctor, there's a doctor that we've talked about in the podcast for, wrote a great book. The book's called Social. His name is Matthew Lieberman. Um, his research team, they, they basically focus on the brain and how our brains have become more social throughout time, and that's why we are who we are. Why we're like, survivors. That's why we're so. That's why we're so successful. Why we rule the world is uh, human species rule the world is because we have this ability to coexist and work with each other, share resources. Right. So we're social creatures, and the reward we get is teamwork, greater innovation, greater improvements, and greater likelihood of survival because you have a group of people to help you survive. Right. So what. What we found out is, and when I say we, I act as if like I did the research. We found out in the lab <laughs> when I was there, never. Um, no, I'm, I'm the practitioner. I'm very thankful for these people's research. What they found out is that 60% of the power of your brain, so imagine your brain is um, the battery on a cell phone. You turn on your cell phone, it goes, oh, you got 60%. Well, that's when you wake up in the morning, what you can expect to expend energy-wise, physical energy, just from operating our brain. So just the just, just the energy, just the energy it takes to run this massive supercomputer. Because if you have a big computer at your office, you need some a lot of energy, right? And so it's, it's creating a lot of heat. It's like creating it's, a lot of heat, exactly. Yeah. So on a, they say on just a typical day that's not overly strenuous, you're not like running for survival for your life or going through a divorce or something horrible. Typical day. Your body's energy, your brain takes up 60% of your overall energy. Now imagine a stressful day. Imagine by noon, we've all had those days where at noon we're like, 
Oh, it's it's five percent. Like, we we can't replug in, right? We can't plug it back in, and so our brain has to figure out ways to store and conserve energy. Shortcuts. Shortcuts. Our brain knows, and this is a habit. So, and some people just kind of just intuitively know this, but I'll just explain it this way: We don't have this thing where we wake up in the morning, our brain goes, "Hmm," even though. We did something yesterday that works. Let's reinvent the wheel. Okay, do we want to go to the bathroom first when we wake up? Do we want to grab something to drink? Or should we take a different route to work today? Our brain doesn't have time to rethink our whole entire routine. The reason why good routines are so effective because we are mindless while we're doing them. You're getting off your exit, you're at work, and you're not even awake yet. Right. So if our brain can coast I do and so cruise. Much <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm like... Whoa, how did it get to be four o'clock? And wow. Next thing you know. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in the pot Costco parking lot for five hours now <laughs> talking to people about the podcast, right? That's not your fault though. Um, so what what we have here is our supercomputer, aka our brain, is constantly thinking, how can I create shortcuts, store energy so I can ramp up and get ready for the big hitters in the day, like the really stressful situations throughout the day. Turns out for dinner. Okay. that one of the patterns that our brains have figured out from a very young age is for some reason, when someone doesn't look happy with us, they seem to usually ask us a question. And the questions sound like, why did you not put away your dishes? Why did you not pick up the towel off the floor? Why have you been playing video games to doing your homework? How many times do I have to tell you? What is wrong with you? We're literally thinking these things and saying it out of our mouths. Now, sometimes in the old, back in the old days, I know none of you parents now would do this. Parents used to do that to embarrass their kids. And as we talked about before in this podcast, won't go too deep into it. Shaming someone publicly is such a powerful, painful thing that in some villages, they would shame people when they didn't have pain medication for surgeries. They would shame the person, tell them their embarrassment, their joke, and then they'd reset the bone when the person was like, what, I'm embarrassed of my family. And they're so devastated because in hunter-gatherer cultures and people that really survive off of their the, the, uh, the groups that they live with, like they depend upon them survival, if you're socially ousted or if you're disrespectful or disrespected your group, that could equal death. Not that they would necessarily kill you, but if you're on your own, you're in big trouble, right? Mm -hmm. So the questioning comes in in a very weird place where our ancestors were constantly trying to use questioning as a way to publicly shame us, to correct us and get us back in line. In today's world, we find out that there's so many better ways. We've come across so many adults and so many mentors in our life who don't use shame as a teaching tool, and we gravitate towards those people. I've never heard of a boss just ridicule and drill someone and shame them and everyone standing around taking notes and saying, oh my gosh, that's a beautiful art form. How did they take everything so personal and make the person feel so horrible for a simple mistake? That's not something anyone's taking notes on and trying to duplicate. But when you watch someone handle a stressful situation, like a first responder, they walk up and they say, I'm here to help. Thank you for trusting me. We're going to get through this. And they use statements to calm the situation. Another time when this is used, and we, like I said, we use questions and statements interchangeably. You do not see a hostage negotiator 
walk into a place where maybe a bank robber has like 10 people in there. You don't see him walk up there and say, hey, we're wondering uh, how much money do you want? What kind of helicopter do you want to escape from here? Um, you know, like, what are you doing in there? Why are you even robbing this bank in the first place? Could you imagine that hostage negotiator would be fired immediately? They're like, what are you negotiating? You're just trying to make the person feel bad for robbing the bank? I think they're beyond feeling bad. Okay, they're, 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 this is a serious situation. Right. So we know that questions in certain situations, have you ever, as a parent, Heidi, said a question as you say it coming out of your mouth? You're like, A, this isn't going to go well now that I'm saying this, but I feel like I ha- I can't be, I'm taking advantage of, no one's respecting how I feel, and I just need to lay it on there because that's what people did to me when I was young. Well, I just wanted to ask a question that was so, like that the answer would prove my point. Exactly. Yep, that happens too. You know, like I wanted, you know, what were you thinking? Well, I wasn't thinking. Exactly. You, you know, like you, you want to, you want to ask a question that is going to help them magically realize what a dumb decision they made, or or where they're in the wrong, or where they could get better. Because you, you really, you just want to get past it, right? No mom, no parent wants to sit in in a fight or a problem. The thing is that this happens at a very young age. Even like if a two year old um, spills spills a cereal all over the what floor, what are you doing? Or you know, <laughs> spills the dog's food, or you know. Whatever happens, you ask questions when you're kind of panicky, when you're, you're upset, trying to make sense when the of kid it. is is in trouble. So, so as David would do, your little do the little beep 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 beep. beep, beep. <laughs> oh, I almost got it. So, because all of us have been hearing questions since we're little, usually associated with us being an idiot, making a mistake, getting in trouble, getting grounded, right? Some sort of not like not thinking, not thinking. We're like we're they're mad at us. Like I said, the the old ways of this were like to try to correct us and put us back, right? But now, as a very young age, kids get even more attuned to something's wrong. Every time I hear a question, I'm in trouble. So they have this amazing detection device. When I say they, meaning us, but specifically kids. When they start to hear the questions come, their defense mechanisms start to go up immediately. If you thought it was hard getting uh, a middle school age kid, a teenager to open up and talk to you about their feelings, start ask, start out by asking them a bunch of questions and see how much harder it gets. Right. It, it caused them to shut, shut down shut because down. their brains have been trained. Yeah. Questions are a trap. You're going to exhaust your energy. You're going to be burned out by the time you get to school, by the time you go to practice, whatever it is, you're not going to have enough energy. So that's why when kids are walking away, putting on their headphones, trying to get out of the conversations, it's more than just they don't want to talk. Their brains are saying that conversation has a high probability with you getting in trouble, you being the problem, and you like causing issues for your family, your friend group, and that's not fun. There's or, nothing fun about that. Or here's the other thing. Have you ever had your kids say, I don't know what you want me to say? Exactly. Because, so, they, because parents come in asking questions because they actually do have something they want that kid to say. Or they they want they're trying to pull some some kind of information out and and maybe that kid either that information isn't coming out or they're just like look I don't I don't know what you want from me but stop because I because I don't 
I don't know. Well, unfortunately, even good parents fall victim to this, but sometimes we do not want obedience. We want submission. Now, just, just so you know, I did put that on on uh, on the bottom part of this worksheet. Come on, you, you tough parents out there. <laughs> you parents out there that like to toe the line and were raised in tough backgrounds. And even if you weren't raised in tough backgrounds, you may just feel like you are getting ran over by life and you're like, I'm at least going to not get ran over by this little kid. It's, a, like, it's like, an authoritarian yeah, it's, approach. It's like, hey, sure. I got to stand my ground. I got to let them know they can't take advantage of me. The problem is that's how people who aren't used to having power or control handle power and control. Right. They feel as if it's a threat instead of an opportunity. When you have kids, when you have employees or people working underneath you, it pays to get them to work with you. And if the ways you've tried to get your kids to work with you by asking a bunch of questions, try to get them to talk to you, by trying to get them to open up, as much as it pains us, we have to do things different. So this has been my staple for years because the parents that I've worked with that naturally just started to do more statements in some of the like counseling sessions I had with them, they had so much more success with what their goals were with their communication with their kids, having better relationships. Frankly, I don't know anybody who can naturally start. Well, and, and the parents work in my brain, the parents that were doing this, I started to see this pattern too. So then I just started suggesting it start with statements always until the relationship gets to a place where you can lead with some questions every now and then, or you can kind of bring up some questions pretty quickly in the conversation. But if there's a difficult relationship, and you ask the person a question in sales, they have this thing that they borrowed from psychology. And it's, I love saying this. And I remember when they told me this back in the day when I was a salesman for a living, not for very long, uh, <laughs> they said, whoever asks the questions is in control. Have you ever been to buy a car and, or buy anything? And they're like, so where are you from? Like, oh, you know, what are you into? And they're just trying to start these small conversations with you. Because if they can get you to answer their questions, then they can get you to open up to them. If they can get you to open up to them, then they can guide and direct you into a cell and convince you with that cell, right? right? Just by getting the conversation going. Problem is, I actually like salespeople say, listen, I know what you're looking for. I'm here to help you. Let me know anything you need. I got you. I always buy from that person. I never buy from the person who's trying to sell me. Or as I like to say, everyone needs to buy a car. No one wants to feel like they're being sold a car. Right. It's just, we have this natural, it's gross if someone's trying to sell something. Now, when you're a parent asking questions, so do you think it's still a good idea for you to hang out with Tracy? Uh, I heard that she's been vaping. I heard this and that, whatever. Do you think that it's, you know, it's good for you to be out this late? What we're doing as parents, we're playing this game. Problem is our kids don't know what the rules are. They don't know what game we're playing. And it's the shame game. It happened to us from our siblings, from adults in our generation. And we kind of want to like give it back a little bit. Sure. And that's okay because we can be good human beings, pay our taxes and still have some pettiness about us and take some jabs at our most sincere loved ones. Right. Right. Cause that's a human trait. We get upset and butthurt. Right. But that's a default mechanism mechanism on the past. Asking questions is an outdated tool and it doesn't teach anyone anything. Questioning them over and over again, not asking questions just randomly, but just questioning them over and over again does not, it's not a teaching tool. 
it's a, I'm scared that you're going to end up like the things about, I don't like about myself, my cousins or all these people, these horrible things I've seen that could happen to someone in their life. I'm so scared that you're going to end up like that. I got to correct you right now. And since you're not smart enough to figure out, I have to ask you questions. So it's a little embarrassing and stings a little bit more. Okay. So now let's, let's get into statements, yeah. which is kind of this other end of the spectrum. And let's talk about what the habit that our brain made yeah. for statements. So like Heidi said, we have this little GPS satellite in our brain. Every time we hear a question, it's like, doo, 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 abort, abort mission, get out of the conversation, run, get out of there. When we hear statements, statements are usually associated with compliments, helpful information, observations, right? Heidi found out a great statement that she's told plenty of times on the podcast. Son gets in the car and it says saying, how was your day? Because that never worked out well. Which, you know, that seems like a pretty simple And it can work out great in kindergarten, innocence. first, second, third. In every grade they get older, you're rolling the dice. Your probability of just asking random questions to get little Johnny to open up after school, they start to be more shut off. So what's one simple thing that you learned instead of just saying, how was your day? What do you do instead? So my secret sauce was to make an observation. It looks like you... Had a rough day. Stop talking. Not. Why did you have a, why do you look so sad or what happened or who just by lunch or what went wrong or how much homework do you have? Because that would have, that was my previous approach was like me asking questions, trying to get him to talk to me. And you know what it sounds like to him? Interrogation. Interrogation. Yes. Now, now I have not your intention. Definitely not your intention. I have one yeah. child that loves to tell me all about school. Loves school. You don't have to ask loved any questions. Being <laughs> at school, loved being with her friends. Loved everything she was doing. Right. And so if I said to her, "How's your day?" Oh my gosh, it was so much fun because you know what we did. <gasps> well, you know, and she barely even takes a breath. Right. You're like if I ask her a question, I better have an hour. Right. <laughs> exactly. But I have another kid who, if I asked, a, "How was your day?" It poked the bear. It was painful. It, 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 painful. It was miserable. Yeah. He was unhappy. It was embarrassing. He was he was embarrassed in his reading group. He was embarrassed in his math group. He had somebody tell him it was stupid. He didn't have anybody to sit with at lunch. You know, it was like all these horrible things that he like, didn't want let's to Let's relive all my failures or the yeah. things I hated about today. He just wanted to move on. Let me yep. just get home, right? He didn't want to admit to me how horrible it was at school, but I just wanted him to tell me all the things that were horrible so that I could tell Help him that he was going to be okay. Yeah, he's great and you <laughs> love him. So, you know, when, when David taught me that when we tell people something like, oh, great job, you look beautiful, I love your shoes, you know, any of these things, that's like, oh, thanks. 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 You don't need anything from me. You just think I'm great. Okay. I can, I can do this. Um, but for me, telling somebody, Hey, I love your shoes. I wasn't like hanging around waiting for me to tell them about waiting for them to tell me about their day. Yeah. And so I never even could, could fathom how making a statement just reels them in. A it reels them in. Yeah. And so 
this was a really big shift for me. And in fact, like I told you about this kid of mine that didn't want to talk. And, and David would say, do not start with a question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this differentiation. We're not saying you can never ask anybody a no. question. What we're saying is in order to start a conversation, in order to like bring them in, warm them up, we're going to start with the statement. Then once things are kind of a conversation's happening, then you can ask a question. And we're going to yeah. give you some tips for making sure those questions aren't Can, can I interrupt you and say something? I'm actually surprised. Now that I think about it, I'm actually surprised that you and many of the moms and women out there have talked to, and I'm not saying this just for women, but specifically I just realized this, didn't make that connection for statements to start a conversation because women from my experience are so much better versed and so much better at making another girl feel comfortable enough to talk to you by giving them a compliment about their hair, their shoes. Women use compliments as conversation pieces way more than men do way more. So, but it's not even, you I, don't even do it as an effort. No, no. Here's the thing is it almost comes natural, right? That's what I'm saying. I do not think that, asking questions comes so natural that you can't make statements. I just think most people don't see it as the same two thing. Or you're trying to make like a girl, our brain, like yeah. our brain is we're mad. And so we want to know why you're, if you're trying to make a girl feel comfortable around you to start off conversation, cause it's kind of an awkward moments. Like, Hey, Oh, nice hair. You know, just kind of standing there, you know, that can warm up the scenario and situation that even though if you don't have a great conversation, you guys both feel more comfortable. We don't usually think of when we're addressing our kids and talking to our kids, like, how can I make them feel more comfortable? Because most hard school parents are like, I already made their life too comfortable. That's the problem. <laughs> like, I made them too comfortable. So they're like, we need a pound of flesh for every time they get in trouble. I'm telling you, we got to be smooth about it. results. If you look at these well, statements, kind of like you're trying to start a conversation to make a girlfriend feel comfortable, and you kind of break it up a little bit and use different observations and compliments, I think that would come a lot more naturally to, to, especially to women, because women are so much better than guys at this. Maybe so. Then that's a great. That's like a, I literally think that's a superpower of women, how they just know the right compliments, not just any compliment. Because a lot of guy at times, guy guys will be like, you look hot. Girls like, thanks. Like it's not like a girl's like, wow, like you're melting your hair so beautiful. Oh, like, thank you. Like it's a very specific thing. Oh, she noticed that. I was going for that. I hope it's someone right, noticed that, right? right? So it's just seeing that the specific intention is to make someone feel comfortable in your presence. When someone feels comfortable in your presence, the chances that they're going to share and talk to you about things that actually matter to them go up drastically. That's a, that's a, I'm writing that in my statement thing, my statement box. Yeah. Is that, that is, that would be a helpful thing to think about when you're approaching a kid, even if you're mad. And I, and I think that that's the difference. When I'm going to go and hang out with a, with a friend or be at an event and I've got to make friends with somebody, I'm not mad at them, so I don't need to question them. You know, I'm yeah. just wanting to get on the same page, right? I'm just exactly. wanting to relate. Exactly. And you can't relate to people by simply walking up to them. And this is the opposite approach that parents use questions in the best of intentions where they're asking so many questions you look weak and you look desperate. 
Now, I'm not, I don't know which one of you parents out there listening to this going, oh, that's me. It's the parent that has the sweetest, kindest disposition, biggest heart in the world. I'm thinking of a couple parents like literally right now that they would do anything for their kids and they get walked over because of it. They don't know that being nice and compassionate, empathetic is not a sign of strength necessarily. It's a desperate, it's a plea to, to, to connect. But with your kids, if they're seeing that you're trying to love them into liking them, like to liking you, like if I love them enough, they'll like me back. Then you're realizing just where it says down right here, if you have your worksheet, we have a saying there, when you relate, it kills the hate. If you can relate and connect with someone, the argument, the fight, whatever was going on, it definitely diminishes all the anger and all the resentment that was taking place right. in the conversation. So if you have a, say if you have a mom and an oldest daughter, right? And they're just going to heads about going, you know, going at it with each other. And the mom stops, says, you know what? I hate it when I get worked up like this. I'm already feeling like I'm in a fight with you. And like, I'm always feeling like, like I have to win this fight. When in reality, like, I don't, I don't want to win. I don't even want to fight. Like, I don't even know what we're doing. Like, I'm just, let's just talk about this later on. This is not working at all. If someone says, tap, uncle, I surrender. If it comes from the leader, if it comes from the more powerful person, you're not saying I give up on my child. What you're saying is, if this isn't working, we need a timeout. We can't keep on doing this. And that can, that's a very bold statement to be like, I don't like the person that I'm becoming. I'm scared I'm going to say hurtful, meanful things to you. And then I'm going to be up all night being like, oh, I'm a horrible mom. So let's sidebar this and let's talk about this tomorrow. There's nothing at that moment that in, in, in like that trying to like win a conversation where you feel that connection and statements always are going to tr like really clearly state what exactly are you trying to communicate? It's so easy to be manipulated with questions and to feel that the person's asking the question has ulterior motives because that's how we get trapped is with questions. So when someone comes to you and says, I don't want to fight. I know you don't want to fight with me. This isn't working. We need to do this a different way. And I don't know what that is, but it's not working at the moment. Let's take some time out. Nobody wins, but someone realized that this is going down a pathway where we may not be able to come back quickly from this. And that can only be said with a statement. You can't say, well, I guess we could just argue all night till the cows come home. That's a questioning statement. Right. That's taking your doubts in that person, the conversation and their intentions and framing it as a statement. So the two things we want to avoid, questions and questioning statements. The thing you want to gravitate towards are, are um, actual statements because statements show intention. They help you connect. And they're the only way for someone to know what you're actually thinking. I did this when I taught, um, you know, young people like in dating situations. I have a group of girls in front of a group of guys and guys are like, oh, girls, you know, they don't ever talk to us, this, that. They're kind of complaining back and forth in this teen group. And I asked a girl, I was talking about the statements versus questions. I asked a girl, was, all the girls, I said, okay, answer this for me. I'm going to pretend to be a guy asking, like introducing myself to a girl, asking her name. You tell me which of these two scenarios would make you feel more comfortable and more likely to talk to the guy, right? Here's the first one. Hey, what's your name? Here's the second one. Hi, my name's David. What's your name? Everyone said the second one. I asked him why. He said, I don't know, like the, hey, what's your name? It's like, well, that's... 
Right. Yeah, like, why are you asking? Is this, a, is this a TikTok video you're trying to put me in? Like, we get really skeptical of what's going on because we don't know the intention. But if a guy came and says, hello, my name is Steve. I would like to know, what's your name? I was like, what is your name? Like, making the statement first. Then it's like, okay, it's just an introduction. We've done this before. Like, it's okay. Like, this is a softer, it's an easier way to lead into it. That's how it is with all relationships. Start with the statements, make yourself known, and then you can get into the questions. So let's just talk a couple things quickly, and we covered this just a little bit, but if we're going to try to have a conversation with, and, you know, as a mom, I'm always, like, I feel like at, at work or with friends, I do a lot better at this, but where I struggle is with my specifically teenage, teenage kids or... People that share your DNA. <laughs> right. So um, there's three things that we have here that can be like little hacks to try to start a conversation with um, a statement. We already covered um, compliments and we kind of talked about observations, observations um, meaning like, wow, you look super tired or, you know, you look like you didn't have a great day or, you know, I can tell, I can tell that you're tired. So, you know, you're, you're probably hungry. Let's just get home and get you some food or, you know, whatever, some, a statement that, you know, they're not going to disagree with and, and maybe they can respond to. Um, another thing that you talked about, you talk about is helpful statements and how those can be connecting and also, um, create some trust. So do you want, do you want to just explain that? Yeah, helpful statements, there's a variety of situations that you can use this in. Um, I'll use one if uh, uh, you're just a parent with, with a child, right? You want to nudge your child into not forgetting to do something. You know, like, you know, as parents where I was like, hey, don't forget to, you know, text your friend back about this weekend, you know, because they always forget to text. And then you wonder why no one ever wants to hang out with you. You're like trying to save your kid <laughs> from right. a social faux pas, right? You know, you don't want them to screw something up. Right. And so a lot of times parents will make helpful statements, but they're really parenting statements. They're really like, Hey, don't forget to pick up after your clothes. Like it feels Which very can similar become to shaming. It can exactly. become like, Oh my gosh, again exactly. with the, yeah. Because when your kid comes back in this scenario, if this is a real scenario, they didn't text their friend back and they're like miserable. The parents like, what's wrong? They're like, Oh, no one wants to hang out with me. Now the parents like, I kills the parent. Now it's like, I told you, did you text them back? No, See, this can start off really quickly. The parents stressed seeing their kid. How can I save this from them? Well, if they would just listen to me with no filter, parent says this out loud, kid gets mad. They get back, they get into it. And now the parent becomes the problem, right? right? Now the it's relationship becomes yeah. a problem, right? So helpful statements. You gotta be really careful when you use these that it's really something indifferent. It's not something about that you're trying to control or trying to get them to do, right? So let's say a kid comes back from practice, like, oh, the coach isn't starting me, blah, 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 you know, this and that. Helpful statement, be like, well, you know how I feel about the coach not starting you. I don't like it. But I'll tell you what I do like. I do like when you come home from practice, you have a big, healthy meal, and guess what? You just have to make your favorite. It's really a distraction to get the person thinking about something that's actually helpful, mm -hmm. something that they can control, something they can do right now. They say, well, I don't feel like eating. All right. Well, let us know. 
I'll, we'll save some for you. I'll put some away. Put some away for you in case you get hungry later on. Trying to save them from that moment and trying to say, well, did you do this? Did you do that? Nobody needs that right then. Nobody needs that. If you were your own teenager, you wouldn't like it either. Right. We just don't know what it feels like because it's not happening to us. It's been a long time since we were that age. But if we all think about this scenario, it's easy for a good parent with good intentions to try to be helpful with their statements, but they're making the statements to try to stop their own worrying, concern, and fear for their kid. They're not making a helpful statement to be like, well, that doesn't look like you're going to be, so it looks like you're not going to be starting this week, huh? Yeah, it looks like I'm not going to be starting this week. Tell you what. not going to cure your problem, but I think we can do something fun this week. Get you hyped back up. Because I think you've been training so hard, you're too inside your head. Let's go on your favorite hike or let's go something like that. Maybe you need to take a break off. Maybe you're just overthinking this too much. Now, whether they do it or not, that's a helpful statement to kind of just redirect their brain into a different direction. Now, if they pull it back, they go, no, I don't want to do anything. I'm so pissed. Okay, never mind. You know, just... just I know how, how happy it makes you, so and just walk away. Just plan things to distract them that are helping them think about solutions instead of the problem more. Yeah. But you don't want to take it away from them. You don't want to tell them, why do you feel that way? Don't feel that way. You're better than that person. Gonna, you should yeah. start. You know, my wife did this with my daughter the other day. My daughter came and said, I'm really scared because it's, she goes, I'm really nervous and scared. This is our big, like, end of the season swim meet. And my wife's first response like, why are you scared? And I looked over at her and she looked at me. She goes, you know, I'd be scared if I were you too. And then my daughter, when she said, why are you scared? My daughter kind of like cowered, like, I don't know. And she goes, I'd be scared about you too. My daughter like was like, she saw this relief. That was a helpful statement. Yeah. yeah. I'd be scared too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm not the only one. I told her, I said, you know what I used to do? By the way, all you guys out there, earmuffs, if you don't want to hear some really inappropriate language right now. Uh, I told my daughter, I was so scared for every football practice, every basketball practice, like every big basketball game, football game. I said, have to take a pregame dump. <laughs> she started laughing. She went from scared to death, started laughing. And she hugged me after. She's like, dad, thanks for making me laugh. You always know how to take my stress off. She was like a pregame dump. Like what? And you know, she's old enough. We joke. She was really, yeah, I got so much bad nerves. My friends were like, where are you at? And I had to take like 10 peas before the game even started. You know, I was just used the bathroom a bunch of times. And so she thought that was so funny. She's like, you know, last time I did go to the bathroom out too. Maybe I get that from you, dad. It was normal to be stressed. That was a helpful statement. Even though it was comical, it definitely took her off the things she couldn't control. Well, and it also didn't make it all about you. Yeah. But it helped you, it helped you relate. If I would have said back when I played at the University of Utah <laughs> in 1932, we had leather helmets on and we had to walk uphill to school and downhill <laughs> home and... Like, no kid wants to hear about your struggles when you're a kid. Just make a couple helpful statements. And if you get good at this, you can be a little sense of humor added in it as well. Right. So, so you guys can use that one. I'm just kidding. Don't use yeah, the pregame. Ju just tell, tell them. <laughs> so, hey, you had to stab the balls of the pregame right. done. I, like, <laughs> I like it. So, also, it's good to keep um, statements just kind of tight, short, and direct. This is yes. not my strongest no, Four this. Days. listen up, guys. This is very important. Short with a period at the end of it. So, you know, my statements tend to be like a paragraph statement, you know. Everyone and gets lost after the first couple. That was one of the things that David was working with me on is like, okay, what are some possible short statements that you can make? And this kind of takes us into the next 
concept, which is kind of a, a strategy. You gotta um, have these statements ready it's to a go. Good idea. You gotta have some to, statements up yeah, ready to go. To think of some statements beforehand that you can use, and maybe there are statements that you can use over and over. Maybe you know that there's going to be. Maybe you know that there's a confrontation coming, or maybe you're aware of a tricky situation. So have those statements on deck so that you don't get whisked up in the emotions. And, you know, for me, that might be something really simple like, you probably don't want to talk right now, and I totally understand. But when you're, when you're ready, I'm here. And this is the one that David taught me, and you guys, I did not believe it would work. But Flat do you out. believe anything will work that no, I first tell it, you? It takes me a long time to believe anything he says. So you guys, trust me if you can't trust David. Um, but that, and I'm going to say it one more time, because it genuinely will work in any situation with pretty much anyone, especially if it comes with a genuine eye contact or not, or genuine not eye contact. Or your body language has to be that saying your the body same language thing. is matching, which is just this, like, you know, I can tell you're upset. I'm here if you want to talk about it, or just let me know when you're ready. And what? and David and then David says, you know, mic drop, and theoretically f or actually walk away. Now this is. Again, also, my second hardest thing, where I would say, you seem sad. What happened? Where, where'd you go? Where'd you go? You know? And your kids are like, bubble space, mom. Bubble space. Need my boundaries. And, and so I could make the statement, but then I'd be like, mm, my... Did, you understand, did you understand my statement? Did that make sense? With like three questions right after it. It was just hard for me to like, especially if I was concerned, you know, or worried. It would be like, it looks like you had a hard day. <laughs> well, you know, go, like, adding to what you said, you guys, I whether you believe me or not, from my experience, there is not a human being that was born not wanting to talk about their stress. It's a part of a human condition. So let that sink in. The fact that people do want to talk to you, but they want to know that it's safe, that they're not in trouble. They 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 want to know if they can trust you, right? And, and what we do is we do certain things to gather friends. We do compliments. We do certain things to let people know we're open to be nice and kind, stuff like that, right? But when we hear someone make a statement that sounds like this, hey, I get it. I get it. I've never heard a person say that they do not put the friendships in their life above everyone else that have this quality. Everyone I've ever noticed, everyone I've ever known that had really close friendships that would say that that person, the reason why they put them first and they put them as a priority because a person's easy to talk to. The person just gets it. When you have a friend that gets you, it's like you found the Holy Grail. It's like hallelujah, praise Jesus, Buddha, Allah. It is, it, there's not a bigger relief than when you're in a social situation a new neighborhood, a new school, a new situation, and you make a friend. Oh, it's like, yeah. thank goodness. Hallelujah. Our brain has a whole bunch of 
drugs. It's like, here you go. You're like, oh, this feels good. Like, let's hang out. Let's go to dinner. Let's go to lunch. You start planning maybe a vacation with that. It's just such an amazing feeling when we make a friend because our biology has a reward system for good relationships. And that reward system is a drug called oxytocin. And we get it because our body's telling us we're less likely to die. If you have one really good friend, you should fear death, death a whole lot less. Right. If you have strong, multiple social groups that you're connected with, then you're even less so that you're going to be fearing death because death does not quickly come for the people who are well-connected. It's hard. I mean, if you're in a strong group of people, it's hard to pick off those members yeah, of that group. Yeah, because you're not even an outlier. You're not an outlier at all. So when we talk about statements and questions, making statements drops someone's guard down, allows them to feel more open to connect. Once they connect with you, whether you're their parent, their coach, their music teacher, <laughs> right, dance teacher, whatever it is, they're so grateful because they're like, this is one person I don't have to be worried about constantly if I'm okay with them or not. It's just, it's a beautiful thing that we are hardwired this way as human beings. It's our superpower to connect with people and also to read people's minds. If we see a mom that's struggling with stressed out kids and we just start grabbing her groceries and putting on the belt thing, she looks at us like, what are you doing? And then gives us the, thank you. Like, thank you so much. She just, someone that doesn't even know her just picked up. She's like, you could tell the pride of a mom and this happened to me recently. She wants to be like, no, no, I'm good. But she was like, oh, thanks. I can't hide. I'm a hot mess. She was like, I can't. She had four kids. It was at a right. swim meet. I was like, I got you. Afterwards, she's like, thank you. It was the most sincere. Like, I didn't have to ask him. I didn't have to say anything. He just got it, picked up my stroller, it fell over. And I looked at her again, you're welcome. And it was just a moment that we both know we're cool with each other, right? Now I see her at the swim meet. She's like, High five, dude. That guy, I, I like, for some reason, I could be a horrible person, but she'd tell people he's amazing. Right. Like, she's just that one interaction. It all came from a physical statement. So, I wanted us to add that in there as well. Our statements cannot just be our words, it has to be our body language, our disposition, our demeanor, but also it has to be us. We make a statement when we're just sitting with someone when they're struggling. Mm -hmm. Feeling like you have to say the right thing is a horrible mistake. The best statement to make, sometimes that. Just putting your hand on someone's shoulder and just putting your head down with them. And they're like, right? Like, this is pretty crazy. Like, I wouldn't want to trade place with you. I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I've told people I wouldn't try play, want to trade place with you. And in the middle of their crying, they start to laugh. They're like, I know, right? I wouldn't want to trade place with me either. So it's just this moment where someone gets me so I don't have to be on my A game. I don't have to be perfect. But imagine how that, if we do that for our kids. Not having to be perfect doesn't mean they don't want to be better. It means the stress of having to be perfect to get approval is removed. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, you said that there's not a person out there that doesn't want to talk about how they feel. I truly believe that. We've, been, we've built people's life experiences have created that to guard themselves, pull back because it didn't go well. Right. Now, some people are more naturally gifted at that, like just talking. People more introvert doesn't mean they can't express themselves. means they're more fearful of it. Right. Another human condition that I think we could probably say pretty blanket statement is that we are our own worst critic. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody is. 
Um, some people can hide it better. Some people are more open about it. Um, but if we could take that piece of information into every interaction that we have, and, and especially with our kids, knowing that when we start questioning them, it actually validates every critical thought they're having about themselves. So they're actually getting not only our critical thought, but like it's compounded by their own negative thoughts. So as we think about the statements that we make or the role that we can play in this, how can we validate the opposite? Like, you know, turning that around. I know you feel, you know, I know you hate school and I, and I know that you hate going there and it's super frustrating, but you know what? I'm just glad you're home from school today because I have missed hanging out with you. So, you know, I'm glad you're home. And, and then that goes from them feeling like I'm a horrible person, I'm horrible at school, to, well, at least I'm glad that you're glad I'm home. Well, it's, you know, know, that homecoming from a day-to-day basis from kids come to school makes me think of a book that we talked a long time ago here on the podcast. It's called Tribe by Sebastian Younger. If you've not listened or read this book, it is an amazing book. Wartime Reporter. Basically, this guy just followed around special forces, uh, platoons and stuff like that. And he came back and he was really blown away by the research and the studies that showed that when people came back, because he saw the same thing himself, when people came back from combat, the amount of PTSD they struggled with had really no correlation to how much death and action they saw. So it wasn't like if you saw 10 people die, then you're going to have really bad PTSD. But if you only saw one person die, you're fine, right? Right. What they found out, it all had to do with how they received at their homecoming. Were oh, they? Re- oh, it's a very powerful book. It's a real Sebastian Younger, J U N G E R. Great art author too. Really good at just explaining like how, what happens with these soldiers. The ones that would come back, they're fighting for freedom. They had a weapon and were defending us, like you know, doing all the stuff like that. And then they get injured and they come home and now it's like, oh, you know, you served your country. You know, the ones that weren't received well that were like, okay, go sit over there. You just don't worry about it. Like you got issues, you know, they weren't given an opportunity to immerse themselves back into a community, a job environment. They said those are the ones that struggled the most. It was a direct correlation to how they were received when they came from a difficult place. Now I know this is a stretch, but it's very similar to our teenagers, our kids coming home from school. Now, not everybody's going to have a bad day at school every day, but we don't know what landmines they had to navigate that day. I always tell people this is a bold reminder to them. How many days, Monday through Friday, when you're at work, are you worried about getting beat up? Yeah, none. Unless you're an MMA fighter, a boxer, you know what I mean? Like, you're not thinking about it. Your kids, just because they don't say that they're scared, that if they say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, that it could lead to bullying or intimidation and get picked on. You turn on YouTube or you turn on social media and see how many horrible videos of people getting, like kids getting beat up by bullies and just crazy stuff. Like there's a lot of things to be scared of. And if you don't have a strong social group, it's like, you're like, I just going to look down at the cracks of the ground and not make eye contact with people. Right. And in these types of situations, I, I just find that kids are just so much more stressed out than we realize they are. And if they're not coming home 
with a really good receiving them when they come from school, even if they had a good day, making statements just helps smooth it over better. And they'll just talk about it easier. But if they had a hard day, we start asking a lot of questions. They're not received well. They're more likely to keep it themselves. Oh yeah, by the way, war veterans, first responders, suicide rates are the highest. It's not by accident that these tough jobs, they don't know how to talk about their feelings. And so now granted, the military and first responders, they do a lot more support than they ever have in the past. I mean, I know some military support groups, these men have all had multiple you know, issues, suicides and stuff, attempts, stuff like that. And they're a strong knit group. So I'm glad they have that now. But how you're received is huge when you come back from a stressful situation because home has got to feel like it's a homecoming instead of a home questioning. <laughs> and and you can think of that in like a lot a lot of ways. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, kind of as we wrap up, there's a couple things to think about. Um, and David's talked. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Um, is how helpful it is to have choices. Um, and so I kind of want to tie these last three things that are on the worksheet together. The, f the first one is choices. The second one is allowing time and space. And the third one is vulnerability. And so what I had to kind of learn and what I'm still learning, to be completely honest, is that the conversation doesn't have to be on my timetable. It doesn't have to be at the table or in the car or right then and there. We can have a choice like, hey, let's let's chat later. You know, I know you're tired. You're just getting home. When you go regroup, take a break and and then let's talk later. When you're ready, let me know and let's have a chat. Giving people choices. That is something that I've really incorporated into into my parenting is do you want this or this and do you remember what i call this tool has to do with the candy yeah now or later now or later <laughs> now or later so um and i think that you know that we teach this a lot but but all humans especially teenagers love choices i, I love choices and that a great like tool to help you guys remember this the candy now or later you ask your teen, your spouse, your partner, whoever it is you're, that you're, you know, have to have a difficult conversation or a conversation they just probably don't want to have. Maybe it's not difficult for you, right? It's really good to try the choices, but call, it, but using now or later. You just tell me, hey, listen, you might be tired. If you're like me, sometimes when I get home, I don't want to talk about stuff, but we do need to talk about this particular thing. So, what do you think? Would you want to talk about it now, or would you want to talk about it later? Every time I tell a parent to do this, they always, well, they're always going to say later. Maybe, but they're playing the game. Mm -hmm. That's the trick. If you get them to say later, say, okay, well, all right, let's, after dinner, well, after dinner, I'm supposed to go to so-and-so's house. Okay, when you get home, it'll be too late. Tell you what, we're not doing anything in the morning. We'll talk around breakfast time. Deal? Okay, deal. You'll get them. If they go later, later, it's okay. You just roll with it. Then come breakfast time, said, uh... Okay, so let's uh, talk about this for a few minutes. And you just start talking. They don't have to be a willing participant to do it. Have you ever seen your kid vacuum the house and not be happy while they're vacuuming? Yeah, they still did it. They didn't actually were excited to do it. So that's the same thing with using statements and pushing the envelope and moving things forward, but by giving them a choice. Because like Heidi said, 
if they have a choice, their brain gets to focus on which choice they want to make versus only thinking about, I don't want to do anything. If they say, well, I don't want to do any of it. It's like, I, I get that you don't want to do anything, but I mean, I could make you talk about it right now. We could fight. We could argue and, you know, make a big deal about this. Or we could just talk about it after dinner. After dinner. Okay. Like, you just kind of keep on pushing through until but you eventually get them to commit to something. They've then agreed. when you come back, you already have buy-in. Right. So the next one is allowing time and space. If you have a conversation with a kid, you can tell them, look, you don't need to give me an answer right now. And playing the now and later. So even after you have some type of a conversation, yep. it's okay. Like, I know as a mom, maybe I've thought through something that I got to talk about or something that we're gearing up towards or something that's happening. I've thought it through. I've probably had the conversation in my mind. I've worried about it. I've thought of like five possible endings to any <laughs> scenario, right? And so I've really thought about it a ton. And so I'm wanting to go in and, and get a plan or make a solution or make a decision. But maybe my kid hasn't even thought about it at all. So it's okay and important once you give somebody some choices or you talk about a solution, give them a chance to think about it. And this is a great teaching tool because when your kids press you, mom, can I go? Can I do it? We always tell them, say, listen, don't come to me last minute. Like I didn't know that you need to be drove here or this happened. Like you don't. So we get so agitated if we just, if they come at us last minute. How we model this for them is we go to them and say, would you like now or later? Then when they do that and you figured out a deal with them, when they come back to you and start demanding stuff, say, hey, you know, remember the other day when I came and asked you, you want to talk about now or later? So yeah, it's like, did you like that? Or do you like it when I just demand something from you right now? Well, they don't have to answer. It's a given, right? It's like, so you just go, so listen, could you do the same thing for me? Could I choose later? So what you do is you get them to play the game with you. And then when they start demanding stuff for you, then you say, I want to call later. And they may be like, well, I didn't give you the option. It's like, well, I gave you the option. So give it back to me. Or even if, you know, I think there's a lot of times that as a, as a parent, they come and they say, can I do this? Can I do this? And you're like, you know what? I don't want to talk about this right now. Yeah. How about after dinner, we chat about it. And then you actually make good. On that, so you're not just like this perpetual exactly. putting off, but there's actually like yeah, that's a, the only way point. you can model that for them is you have to be like, okay, I said later, I'll do it later. But it's a great trick to be able to get your kids to buy into doing it, and then when they try to pressure you for information, you say, I'll take a later. They're like, wait, what? Like, hey, you took a later, and then it's like, dang it, foiled again. Like they got me. It's a clever way because with parenting, if we want them to play this communication game, we can't play the shame game and get them to try to figure out what we're trying to communicate. We have to be more direct and we have to model it for them. Which takes us really beautifully right into the very last thing that I wanted to end up on, which is the whole purpose be behind another individual being defensive is that they don't know what your intention is. If you need to come at somebody with some questions and you need to get to the bottom of something, it's really important to say, hey, listen, I read this text. I kind of heard about this through your mom, your friend's mom, and I'm worried that, you know, this, that, and the other. Could we just talk about this for a second? 
Can you tell me what's actually going on? I want to hear from you. I don't want to jump to conclusions. That way, rather than like trying to catch him in a lie or set a trap. It's a peace offering. So you're telling them, hey, listen, in the past, I would have came, where were you at? What had happened? Blah. I would have totally done that. I've learned that I wouldn't like it if anyone did that to me. So here's what I'm going to do. I really would just like to hear your side of the story. I just want to hear from you about it. I don't want to make any decisions, jump to conclusions. Because if I jump to conclusions, by the way, a great way of being vulnerable is to mock yourself. If your kids are saying, well, you're not perfect, you're not this, you lead with that. You say, listen, I know I've jumped to conclusions before. We've gotten in big fights because I thought you made a mistake. Turns out you didn't. And I ended up looking stupid and, and very foolish. I didn't look like a great parent, so I don't want to do that again. So I'm just telling you right now, here's what I know. I would like to know your side of the story, but you don't have to give it to me right now. You can think about it. If you're allowing someone to have time to get their story straight and to figure things out, some parents think, well, I'm just giving them time to come up with an excuse or a lie. I'm like, okay, maybe you are. But isn't that part of communication? You test to see how the truth works on people and how lies work on people. That's the only way to know if you, one works better than the other. And if you lie and someone pretends to go along with your lie, sometimes you just realize the lie is stupid or it's not even necessary. But if someone's always I mean, like, oh, yeah, you're lying. If, if, you're, if you're a parent that's trying to catch them in a lie, how are you supposed to be partners? And most of the time. How are you supposed to give each other the benefit of the doubt, you know? A kid isn't going to have to, like, formulate a lie in order to protect their situation and not get in trouble if you're already calm and you're not coming after them. I, I love using guilt trips, not shame trips, but guilt trips. I tell kids all the time, hey, don't worry. Whatever you're about to tell me. I totally believe you. I know you'd never lie to me because you don't have a reason to lie to me. I've never grounded you. I'm just your therapist, your counselor, your teacher, whatever. So whatever you tell me, I'll totally honestly, I'll believe anything you say. And I just look at them with intently. And then they're like, okay. Uh, and they start talking nine times out of 10. They start going, well, okay, maybe I didn't do all my homework. You know, well, I did yell at my parent too. They disclose so many of their own issues in that communication or that situation. But if I say the other words, um, so why did you sneak out the other night? So I'm taking their parents' advice, what they said, and now I'm um, interrogating them. them. Yeah. Instead of saying, heard there was kind of a crazy night the other night. Uh, yeah. I'd love to hear your side of the story. That works so much better. Right. Because now they're like, yeah, I got a chance to influence Dave instead of my parents only have influence over him. Let him work out their material. Let him figure out, is this a role I want to play from trying to manipulate and lie? Or I just want to own up to it. Because if you own up to it, you get respect. But if you own up to it and your parents freak out on you and shame you because you're being honest, then your brain goes, mm, note to self, I don't know if they can be a trusted all. I don't know if they can handle the truth. And that's why this being vulnerable is so huge. And that's why a lot of times I like to use humor. I like to say, hey, I've made mistakes as a parent. Other parents, I tell them, just acknowledge that, listen, I don't want to do what I've done before, so can we talk about this after dinner? Yeah. And, and I... I mean, I think that takes us into like this conversation that if there has ever been a point in your life that you were an interrogator, that you were an over questioner, that you've maybe you've used like all three of your strikes plus all of the strikes that you would get the next year. And, you know, maybe you you your kid isn't even going to trust you. There's this vulnerability gives you the opportunity to say, OK. 
So I realized that in the past I have always like jumped into a million questions and it hasn't really been working for us. And so I'm going to try a new approach and let them know that being open about it. You're like, Hey, I'm just telling you what I'm doing. Yeah. No, no hiding, no secret, like kind of gets you caught up. And because when you start changing your approach, they might be like, what exactly are you trying to do? You know, one thing that you said I wanted to leave our listeners with, um, probably one of the last things I'll say, is that um, if you're the parent that's been mistreated, manipulated, people have used the trust that you gave them to take advantage of you in any way, shape, or form in your life, be very careful to not put that label on your own children. I work with a lot of parents that have this defensive guard against they're not going to get taken advantage by anyone. And so when their kids try to play them or lie to them, it's a very personal attack. And they're like, oh, what do you think? I'm stupid. You're going to try to play me. This is part of their developmental process. Don't shame someone for the exact same crap you did thousands of times when you're a kid. You try to get away with stuff when you're a kid. There's two adults. They both have strict rules. Get them to fight against each other so you can slip out the back door. It's kid 101. It's teenagers all across the world speaking different languages do the same thing this is part of our human existence so if you're a parent that finds yourself having a lot of guard a lot of issues of like just being defensive and thinking that you got to watch your back all the time be careful not to put that label on your kids because your kids are doing the same behaviors that other people did but they're your children they're not doing something to harm you or hurt you. They're trying to figure this whole adult human thing out. They don't know how to be a human, right? If they're a teenager, they're a semi-pro adult. If they're a kid, they're not even amateurs yet. Like they're just trying to figure all this out. So when they're manipulating lying to you, don't take it as like, okay, I got to go in a court of law. I got to get through all the details, figure out every detail and situation. You will drive yourself bonkers. You will think everyone is out to get you and these are people that just need you to work with them. That's why saying things like, I get it, making observations, being a little light with a sense of humor in your statement, just tells them, I can handle all your stuff. I was a kid once too. And you're still granted for what you did. I'm just not going to make you feel like it's personal. Well, I think, you know, most of us didn't grow up with a podcast to learn from. Most of us didn't grow up with parents that had been listening to podcasts that knew how to do it better. And you Some of you grew up with parents like mine that were basically cave people <laughs> i was i was raised by savages savages i mean the stories this guy said well so. and i didn't have like the worst horrible family they were just like the way they thought was just so prehistoric it's like you did me wrong i'm gonna punch you i'm and like so he, grandma you can't punch everybody here we are with just really valuable information and um and i am thankful for it and i feel like the relationships in my life, specifically the relationships with my children are better because of it. So if you want to go, if you want to learn more here, there's been several times that we've talked about this topic on the podcast. So if you want to search it up, you will find more. If you go back to the very beginning, it's our fourth um, episode. It's a great deep dive into questions versus statements. And um, like I said, this one, if you don't listen to David on anything else, which you probably should because you it wouldn't take you as long as it took me, but this is life-changing, relationship-changing, and you as a person, it will 
calm you down because nobody is at their best when they're freaking out. And understanding the brain chemistry be between questions and statements is so enlightening that that alone should will probably be able to help you. Well, you know, spark your curiosity. Journey. And another reason why statements and questions have been such a, a huge thing for people is that think of all you out there that have used statements to connect with people. When you hear this, it should just be validating when you've actually done yeah. it right. Yeah. But if it's something that we don't know, okay, what did we do? How do we repeat it? So the principle of statements versus questions just helps you in, in the middle of the heat of the battle or you're about to get in a conversation. You're like statement check. If you want to tell me what your day was like, you can <laughs> versus like, how was your day at first? It's like, wait, how do I do this? It's hard. But once if we just need one thing to remember statements, it's a simple principle because when you, if any of you have ever gone to therapy or anything, especially couples therapy, everybody likes to do reflective listening. Okay. It's an old therapeutic technique. It's where someone tells you something about you and then you say, so what I hear you saying is you hate me as your spouse. You don't want to be married. They're like, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> reflective listening. But in reflective listening and many communication tools, there's this principle of if you don't put it in a statement, it ain't going to land well. Yeah. Super, super interesting stuff. So you guys, thanks for listening. Um, we would love it if you came over, checked out our Patreon and www.patreon.com. <laughs> Start to... Okay, well, I said it wrong the first time, too, then. Okay, so Brandon is correcting himself and me. www.patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com, backslash, light the fizzite. No, light the fight. I don't know how to spell fizzite. Okay. <laughs> Thank you to all the people watching this on Patreon. Download this, take some notes, or just put it on your wall right there to mind you. Put a picture of your kids' faces on this, like pretty pictures. And because this is supposed to be like an educational process, this is supposed to be learning, our learning always gets better when we share this information. So teach your spouse, teach your friend, teach your sister. And or if you have a partner or spouse that is horrible and they always ask you questions and she uses to shame them. You can do that too. But Job security for me. I would suggest we it. Do, yeah. We don't suggest Just it. Kidding. All right, you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, and thank you, as always, for helping us to light the fight.